In verse 4, the Bible says that Elijah and Moses appeared with him and were talking to him. Right in front of Peter, James, and John, the disciples saw evidence of the glory of the power of Jesus, and they saw life beyond the grave when they saw Moses and Elijah. And they knew Moses and Elijah had passed from this world some 1,400 years before Elijah and some 900 years before. And they were, yet they were alive and glorified before them and gave them confidence in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that he had spoke of earlier. Step into the spiritual realm with our latest episode featuring Brother Mark Abney's compelling sermon, The Transfiguration, based on Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Join us as we delve into the transformative journey of faith and encounter the divine revelations that unfolded during our recent worship service. Subscribe now for an enriching experience and let the wisdom of Brother Mark's teachings resonate in your heart. Tune in to embark on a spiritual journey with the Calhoun Baptist Church podcast. And now, Brother Mark. We're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark, beginning on chapter 9, moving right along, 9 verses 1 through 12. The title of this message is Transfiguration. The Transfiguration. Mark 9, 1 through 12 with you. Stand with me as we read out of the Word of God. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now after six days, he took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah because he did not know what to say, and they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one any more, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as, he, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one of the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what The rising of the dead meant, shall we pray? Oh, and they said to him this saying, What do the scribes say? Why do the scribes say Elijah must come? And then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you, Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as is written of him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I I pray, Lord, this morning that you hide me behind the cross, that we rightly divide the word, that that you speak to us through your word, Lord, that you place your word in our heart and make us alive by it. Lord, I thank you that uh, you're at work and you're at work all around us. We see you at work. Lord, we we look and we know that you are doing things. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, engage us in your work. 
Use us as you see fit, Lord, and we lay our lives down before you, and Lord, ask that you use us accordingly. All these things we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have here in verse 1 a controversial text uh, for many. As Jesus prophetically says, some, some of you will not taste death. And let, let me give you my take on this. Um, he does not say none of you will taste death until this takes place. He says some of you. And I believe this verse goes partially with, with chapter 8 is one, one of the scenarios we might look at. If you remember last week's message out of chapter 8, we were talking about dying so that you might have life. And here in verse 9, Jesus is saying that there were some of his disciples who were not going to die to self before the prophecy come to pass. So that could be one of the things that was going on there. Um, in the event that Jesus was talking about when he makes the prediction that some people will not die before they see the coming of the kingdom of God, is the coming of the kingdom in power. I have a couple thoughts. First, I, I don't believe that Jesus is speaking of the second coming here. I believe he's speaking directly of his transfiguration, and they are about to witness or uh, be a witness of or of his defeating death and his death and burial and resurrection as he defeated Satan on the cross of Calvary. So let's look at that viewpoint to begin with, the viewpoint of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the kingdom of God came in all power when Jesus came to earth and fulfilled all the prophecy of the Old Testament. He went to the cross to bear the sins of the world, and he, was, he defeated death once and for all. He died for the sins of all people, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The temple veil was torn in two in that event, and he ushered everyone who believes on his name into the Holy of Holies and made us children and high priests forever. And that, my friend, is victory. Faith is a victory, and when you receive that victory, the moment you believe and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the power of the kingdom of God is here and now on earth, in and through you, because of what Jesus did for you. So because Jesus lives in you, you have all power and authority. You don't receive power when Jesus returns. You don't get the ability to stand in the presence of God, holy God, when the second coming takes place. You don't get the authority to bind things in heaven and earth after the shout of the archangel. You don't do greater works than Jesus did when the trump of God sounds. You receive power immediately when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said you will receive power, amen? So the kingdom of God is on earth right now in the church. And we are the power of God here on earth because he placed his power in us. The Holy Spirit came upon us and we, he said we will be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when did the kingdom of God with all power and authority come? 
when he, re- when he redeemed us at the cross of Calvary. That's when the power of God came down on earth. But there are some folks there that day, and there are some folks today that will never die and receive that power. They will never experience the power of God in his kingdom. Why? Because they won't die. They will not die to self. They continue to live for themselves, and they won't give up their life and lose their life so that they might save their life through Jesus Christ. Back in Mark 8, Jesus said, If anyone wants to follow me, they must lose their life for my sake. And if they do not die to self, they will never see the Son of Man coming in his glory of his Father. In our text, it says after that verse, or the first two verses, it says six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain to be alone together. And the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured right before their eyes. Matthew 17 says that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became like light. Luke 9 says that, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. The transfiguration is a glimpse of Jesus' return. When he returns, his appearance will be overpowering with a bright light. Timothy 6, 14 and 16 says, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this will be made manifest at the proper time by the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus dwells in unapproachable light, and so does God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah, they, they are light. And the light, the radiance of them would destroy us. It would destroy us. When Moses met with God in Exodus 33, the Bible says that the skin of Moses' face shone like uh, shone with a light and people were afraid to come near him. And the glory of God was so bright that it caused him to glow with this light uh, so brilliant that he had to cover his face before he come before the people. Now imagine a light that made you illuminate so bright that you couldn't be before people because you blinded them with that light. Now that's, that's quite a light. That's quite radiance. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him many times. And many times we tend to think, well, Peter, James, and John must have been his favorite disciples. But as I think about that, sometimes I think about I got taken with the teacher many times, but it wasn't because I was a straight-A student. It wasn't because I was a favored student. It was because if left alone, I could get in trouble in less than 10 seconds. (laughs) So the teacher kind of ushered me along with wherever they went in that way. Maybe that's you, but that was me a lot of times. And I think maybe that's Peter, James, and John. You remember James and John are the sons of thunder, right? They had a little temper problem, and Jesus, maybe he thought, I better keep them close to me because their temper sometimes runs, runs amok. So, and Peter, you remember Peter. I mean, I identify with Peter very much because Peter, Peter, 
pretty much went by the seat of his pants. And you can ask Lori, that's kind of how I run, amen? <laughs> they started this nice hike up the mountain and it changed into this vision as they seen the glory of Jesus Christ as he was transformed right before their eyes. In Matthew it says, Jesus' face shone like the sun. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? Even from as far away as we are, the sun, if you look at it just a short period of time, can actually cause you to go blind. Huh? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and this week's uh, this week kind of goes along with the sermon too, because we're going to talk about clouds. We're going to talk about clouds. But this, both Matthew and Mark use the word transfigured to describe what happened to Jesus. For this brief time, Jesus took on the glory of God. His appearance was like God's glory. Basically, Jesus' whole appearance shone forth in this glorious bright light. His, his clothes became uh, shining white, whiter than anyone had ever seen on earth. The word transfigured describes a change in appearance. And it's a change that comes from within. You see, this light that they seen Jesus in wasn't a light that come out of heaven and shone on Jesus. It was a light that come out of Jesus and radiated towards heaven. You see, this transfiguration, this word, means a change that comes from within. The external change because something changes on the inside. It was, it was not a bright light that come down from heaven. It was a bright light that come out of Jesus and shone towards heaven. Most of the time, Jesus could keep from displaying his glory. For Christ to be glorious was no problem. But Jesus was trying to keep the masses from seeing his glory until the time was right. And we see that at the end of this text that he told his disciples to be quiet about what they had seen until he was resurrected from the dead. In verse 4, the Bible says that Elijah and Moses appeared with him and were talking to him. Right in front of Peter, James, and John, the disciples saw evidence of the glory of the power of Jesus, and they saw life beyond the grave when they saw Moses and Elijah. And they knew Moses and Elijah had passed from this world some 1,400 years before Elijah and some 900 years before. And they were, yet they were alive and glorified before them and gave them confidence in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that he had spoke of earlier. I think it's quite a miracle that they recognized Elijah and Moses, right? They don't, they, they had never met them, of course. They didn't have pictures in that day, so you couldn't look at a picture and say, yeah, that looks like Moses or Elijah. So the Holy Spirit must have told them that that's who that was, and they recognized him as such. I kind of wonder, what was Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about? This could be about what Jesus was talking about in verse 1, where he, he said, some of you will see the kingdom of God coming in power before you die. Now here we see Peter doing what Peter always does. Uh, 
He, he jumps to the fact, he goes, oh, this is great, you know. He says, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to build you all three houses and we're going to stay up here and hang out in the mountains for a while. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say for it. They were greatly afraid, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. And now they came down from the mountain, and he commanded them that they should tell no one. When Peter saw Jesus in his glory, he must have said to himself, this is awesome. Look at that. You know, the, what are we going to do? We're going to build three houses up here, three cabins up here on the mountain, and we're going to hang out with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. This is going to be a great time. And you know, even though Peter is rash and impulsive, there's something about Peter, I think, that we should recognize that we need in the church. It's kind of that fire, that spark that comes along that encourages the rest of us. Amen? Amen? Being in the presence of God's glory isn't necessarily always a pleasant experience, especially when God's glory is evident. The Bible says no one has ever seen God and lived. After, um, if you see God's glory, you probably better be careful so that you don't see God, because if you seen God, you would pass. And after studying this lesson, I think it would be death by light. I don't know if light can kill you. Light has a lot of properties, speed, and, and uh, you know, it penetrates darkness. It, it has a lot of properties, and, and a bright, bright light might make you pass. A cloud came and overshadowed them at that time. And it seems like when God comes, and God's glory is always with him, amen, and his glory is his light, his radiance, his brilliance. And when, when that happens, there's always a cloud. And you know what the cloud does? The cloud dispels the light. It causes the light to be dimmer so that you and I can withstand the light. It was a pillar of cloud that stood by Israel in the wilderness in Exodus. It was a cloud of glory that God spoke to Israel from in Exodus. It was a cloud of glory that God met with Moses from. It was a cloud of glory that stood by the door of the tabernacle in Exodus and in Numbers. It was a it was a, from a cloud that God appeared to the high priest in the holy place in the veil in Leviticus. It was from a cloud that appeared to Solomon when he was in the temple, and the temple was dedicated, so filling the temple so the priest could continue in First Kings and Second Chronicles. It was a cloud of Ezekiel's vision filling the temple of God with the brightness of his glory in Ezekiel. It was a cloud of glory that overshadowed Mary when she conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in Luke. It was a cloud of glory that received Jesus into the heaven after his ascension in Acts 1-9. And it will be a cloud of glory when Jesus comes back. Amen. Amen? Because he is the light. And he is the, the completeness of God Amen. and his brilliance. 
The voice of the cloud of glory made it clear that Jesus was God's son. So God came down in that cloud, amen? And he used that cloud to dispel his light because his light was so bright. And he knew, God knows that if anyone sees him, he will die. So he clouds himself and he, he, he covers his glory so that it does not harm you. And then he speaks out of the cloud and tells everyone that this is my beloved son. Jesus commanded that they should tell no one these things that they had heard and seen until he is risen from the dead. This event left a last, lasting impression on these men. Peter related what had happened in 2 Peter 1, 16-18, how the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him, still rang in his ears, confirming who Jesus was. As impressive as this experience was, it in itself did not change the lives of the disciples as much as being born again. You see, it's God in us that transfigures us because it comes from within and it changes who we are on the outside. Would you rather stand on the side of a mountain and see the glory of God one time or have the glory of God in your heart forever? Amen? Amen. And they ask him, who do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Why do the scribes say that? And he answered them and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things, and how it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as is written of him. And the coming of Elijah before the Messiah was clearly prophesied in Malachi 4, 5 and 6, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So the disciples wondered, if Jesus is the Messiah, then where is Elijah? I believe the prophecy of Elijah's coming had to do with Jesus' second coming, not his first, and I believe Elijah, along with Enoch, will be the two witnesses. That's my take on it. Uh, it doesn't. The Bible doesn't tell us who the two witnesses are in Revelations, but... Those two men never died. They were taken up. Uh, so they, the two witnesses come back in Revelations and they die in the streets. They're the only two people that I ever read about in the Bible that I know that ever went to heaven without dying first. So that's just my opinion. You can take it or leave it. Jesus here uh, drew the attention to the contrast between his first and second comings, and disciples were well aware of the prophecies concerning the glory of the Messiah. Jesus informs them on how to his present appearance will end. He informs them of the prophecies of the Old Testament, how he would suffer and die, be raised from the dead, and how he would redeem all of mankind. In conclusion, you and I are also transfigured. We are changed from the inside out. It is God in us that lets others see God through us. 
They will know we are Christians by our love. And it's that kind of love of God in us that changes us on the inside that we might love others outwardly. The greatest commandment in all of the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Amen? Amen. And the second greatest commandment in the Bible is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, them two commandments will cover all the laws of all ever, ever been written. You don't need any other laws if you can do them too. The greatest commandment is to love. And the only way you get love is if you get Jesus. And when you get Jesus, you get the love of God in you. And when you got the love of God in you, you're able to love others and love yourself. Love the church and love Jesus, love God. This is transfiguration. Some, something inside you made you look different on the outside. That something inside you is someone that lives in you, and that someone is Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes all the difference in our life. He places his glory his light in us, and then he tells us to go and share that light with the world. You and I have been transfigured. You and I are the power of God here on earth as the church. And we have all authority because Jesus gave us that power of authority. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture where Jesus went up in the mountains and his radiance, the same radiance that you have, God, came out of him. And it's written about that we can all read it. It was witnessed by these men, these disciples. And Lord, we know it's true. And Lord, we know also that when we said yes to you, you placed your glory in us. And you gave us a light to share with the world. And you put your love in us that we might love others and share with them how great you are. Lord, I pray that we would be a, a loving church. I pray we would be a church that, is, that has a great light together as we come together and share our light in this place that that brilliance, that radiance, that glory of you would be reflected here. Lord, don't let us hide our light under a bushel. No. Don't let us put our lampstand under the bed. But Lord, may we place it like a city on a hill where everybody can see it so that they might find you in this world of darkness. Lord, help us to dispel the darkness wherever we're at with the light that you placed in us. Help us to stand on the truth boldly with love that others might find you. And Lord, I pray that you would use us and the love you placed in us to grow this church, that we might become strong, that we might become the church that you want us to be. And Lord, we need you every moment of every hour. And without you, Lord, it's impossible. But Lord, we know through you all things are possible. And so, Lord, we pray 
for your miracle to take place, the miracle within us and the miracle that comes as we share your love in this place. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. And the church said, Amen. 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 Going to be singing page 321. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. Our prayer is that if you are touched by this message, that you will respond with action. If you would like to accept Christ as your Lord, we ask that you pray the following prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I do not deserve eternal life, but I believe that you died and rose from the grave to make me a new creation and to prepare me to dwell in your presence forever. Jesus, come into my life, take control of my life, forgive my sins, and save me. I am now placing my trust in you alone for my salvation, and I accept your free gift of eternal life. If you prayed this prayer with us today, then you know that you are truly saved. We'd love to hear from you so that we might connect in a meaningful way, encouraging you to be active in the local church, and share the same saving message of Jesus Christ. Please feel free to contact our pastor, visit our church, or find a Bible-believing local congregation near you. However you respond, please let us know. 